sitting there holding my box, this was the time when I felt like God sees me. Welcome back to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, where we take you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham, and as the Operation Christmas Child processing season continues at our eight locations around the country, the Lord is preparing hearts of millions of kids to hear the gospel. And this is why we pack shoeboxes year after year, so more kids can hear that Jesus Christ loves them. He came to save them. And receiving these gift-filled shoeboxes are a tangible example of God's love. It lets them know that He sees them and He knows exactly what they need. I've heard numerous stories of how much a shoebox means to a child, and they never fail to bring me joy. This week, I want to shine a light on why we pack shoeboxes. But first, to set the stage, I want you to hear Danya's story of what it meant for her to get her own shoebox as a child. It came in a time where she needed it most. Danya grew up in the Middle East, and her family faced intense persecution. She recently shared her testimony in our staff devotions, and it reminded me how a simple gift-filled shoebox can have an eternal impact. My name is Dani Andres, and I am so grateful to be here with you today. Uh, we have read in the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, that God refers to Himself as being the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And that's to show us that to the core of who He is, our God is a personal God. Unlike any other religions, they may seem that their God is far away. He's detached from their issues, detached from their problems. Our God, He hears us, He sees us, and He calls us by name. Perhaps one of the most powerful stories that shows us this very personal nature of God is found in Genesis 16, which is the story of an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Hagar was a slave to Abraham and Sarah, and she got pregnant. She was mistreated by Sarah, and it was so severe that she had to run away and flee. She didn't know where to go. She just fled to a wilderness. And there, with the hot sun on her head and pregnant uh, baby in her womb, she didn't know what to expect, didn't know who to turn to. And she wondered if anybody could hear her, anybody could see her. I mean, after all, she's just a slave. But right there and then, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar, and he called her by name. And he said, Hagar, where are you coming from? When are, when are you, where are you going? You know, I love when God asks questions, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he asks the questions to stop us where we are and say, hey, what's going on? Tell me what's going on. And right there, he spoke to Hagar, encouraged her, gave her so many promises and that encounter was so powerful to her that by the end of that, she gave a name to the Lord, which was El Roy, meaning God sees. Because she said, in this place have I actually seen the one who sees me. Now, this is so powerful because I can so relate to Hagar in so many situations in my life, but specifically growing up in the Middle East. Now, what makes this even more interesting, actually, uh, was born just 200 miles from where Abraham lived and where this story took place. When my parents were, got married and they gave birth to me and my brother, they decided to leave my country to go to another country to find a better future for my family. And at that time, they didn't know uh, what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. They didn't know what it meant to have that personal connection with, with, their, with the God. 
But there they met a pastor and he told them about Jesus. And after hearing all about it, they decided to give their lives to Jesus. And not only that, they decided to go back to my home country and tell their own family about this good news that someone shared with them. Now, this was not an easy decision because going back to my home country meant that going back to a village where there was no one in that village to share the gospel. And as a a country as a whole, 98% of the population were not Christians. So it was a big risk my family were willing to take, but they heard something so good they wanted to share with their family. So as they went there, they started telling their own family about Jesus The family were so enraged and so angry that they actually called my parents brainwashed. And they said, something happened to your brain in that other country. Go find it and come back because you were teaching about Jesus. And when they didn't hear, we decided to spread even further and share the gospel with other people in the village. And a lot of people heard and they accepted and they came to our home church that we had. And we started doing worship. We started doing Bible study. People in the street used to hear our worship, and they hated that. And they used to often come and tell us to shut up because it's so annoying for them. So when we did not stop, that's when a series of persecution started on my family. I remember one time my dad had a shop to fix and sell watches, and he went one morning to that shop, and he looked at the door. There was burned oil poured all over that front door, and on the top corner, there's a letter, and that letter was a threatening letter. And that letter, they said, if you don't stop telling people about Jesus or leaving the village, then next time you're going to burn your store. And they actually gave a deadline that if we do not decide not to leave, they're going to kill the family and the people that used to come to our home church. My dad came home, and I still remember the marks of oil in his hand. He was talking to my mom. What are we going to do? I mean, what would you do if you wake up one morning seeing this direct threat to your family? As they prayed about it and as they talked about it, they were so confident that God called them to be there to share the gospel and that still many souls need to hear. And so they decided to stay. And when that deadline came, miraculously God protected my family. But the persecution did not stop. One other day, overnight, they went and they spray-painted the whole walls of the village. This particular one says, meaning, kick out the evangelists from our village. And another wall, they had written specifically what kind of way we would die if we are not going to leave. Now, as hard as those times were for my family, especially for my parents, God was showing us how He can use our time and faithfulness there to change so many hearts of stone into a heart of flesh. One of the closest encounters to death I have seen uh, that my dad came close with was when a police officer came to our house with a fully loaded gun, looked at my dad in the eye, and he told him, we have warned you so many times, and he decided not to leave, and I'm not afraid to use my gun, so you need to tell me now that you're going to stop, or this night could end very differently. And my dad had just a few seconds to make up his mind, so what he decided to do was take the Bible, opened it, and share the gospel with that police officer. (laughs) Now, we thought that my dad lost his mind because we were with him in the living room. And yet those few minutes turned into hours of conversation. And by the end of it, that police officer looked at my dad and he said, I have never heard such a thing. What can I do to also follow Jesus of yours? (laughs) 
this is how God takes those lives and, and, and change them. And you know, it reminds me of uh, a quote that I read by an author named Nick Ripkin. He's the author of a book called The Insanity of God, an amazing book about the persecuted church. But he said, I have never encountered a mature believer living in persecution who asked us to pray that the persecution would cease. Instead, he, the focus prayer of the persecuted is that they would be faithful and obedient to their persecution and suffering. And I think even us, as we were living there, that was our main prayer, that when we are encountered with, with death like this, that we would stay faithful in sharing the gospel, even if that meant risking our life. Now, as a little girl living in that part of the world, seeing the boldness of my parents, I was just so amazed that they're willing to risk it to this kind of God. And that made me strongly feel that this God is worth and I need to follow him too. And as a result of that, I made a decision to follow Jesus. But that meant also my, my life as a, as a little girl in that part of the world would be faced with a lot of rejection. I was the only follower of Jesus in my entire school. I remember going to the school and the teacher sometimes used to say, you know, we're not going to have a class today. Instead, we are going to talk about how you should not hang out with the evangelists. You should not go to, to their house. And if you are seen with them, you are going to be an outcast too. Now, I was the only one. And I remember sitting in the desk just feeling my heart sinking within me because I knew that she was talking about my family. And here I was going back and forth from school, hearing that rejection from school and seeing our names in the wall and everything screamed rejection. And just like Hagar felt, that's exactly how I felt. And I wondered if God truly sees and cares for me. Now that was just one challenge. The other challenge was poverty. You saw how they threatened my dad's store often, so we could not provide even basic necessities. It was very difficult to have food sometimes. I remember my mom bringing us uh, raw onion and bread to eat because that's all she could provide for us. And as far as hygiene items, we had to share a toothbrush among my family members. So it was just so difficult to make it every single day. And of course, because of this poverty, I didn't enjoy the experience of having any kind of gift and any kind of toys. But every time I went to my mom, she always encouraged me to focus my eyes on Jesus because he knows our needs and our wants. And she taught me how to pray and to fix my eyes on him through prayer, bringing everything to him. So I started to pray because it was my only hope. And I started asking God to provide our needs and to send me my very own toys that my parents could not afford for me. Now, within that same period of time, my family had another specific need that we could not afford. And that need was to have something as a radio to enable us to listen to a Christian radio station in a part of the world where Christian resources were very limited. So that would have been a big deal, but we could not afford it. Now, in the midst of, of all of that, in the midst of the prayer and persecution and poverty and wondering, one very special day, we had a group come to our house carrying shoeboxes. Now, this group heard of us. They actually lived six hours away, but they actually heard that we, there's a ministry in those villages, and we need to take them some boxes to help them with their ministry. So they came in, and they talked to my dad and told him, hey, do you think you could do an outreach event here? And my dad said, let me go gather people. So we gathered people, and believe it or not, in that room, there were parents bringing kids, and those parents were the very ones that persecuted my family. But they were sitting in that room, and their kids were singing worship songs with a gospel presentation, because they knew their kids were receiving gifts. 
And so as they handed shoeboxes and everybody opened their gift, I also received my shoebox gift. And I was overjoyed because this was the very first gift that I had ever received. And when I opened and saw hygiene items and school supplies and beautiful toys like a slinky and a beanie baby, I mean, those things just brought a smile to, to my face and a joy in my heart. And the biggest surprise for my family as we were going through those items was finding another small box inside. And inside of it, there was a mini radio. <laughs> and I think that was such a surprise for us because out of millions of children and boxes that went to over 100 countries, this made its way just to my family with the things that we needed and had prayed for. And to me, as I was sitting there holding my box, this was the time when I felt like God sees me. And it was it resonated with me because I knew that this would not have been any kind of coincidence. It was a divine orchestration that God wanted to show me and remind me of. Now, my parents' prayer and, and heart desire was to reach the other neighboring villages because it was difficult to go there and share the gospel. So they took the boxes and they took that opportunity, went to other villages, and they knocked on the doors of the families and said, can we give your, ki- your children gifts? And they agreed. So as they entered and gave their children gifts, they allowed an opportunity to share the gospel. And you could just see how God used this ministry in all of those villages for my parents to use it as a tool to reach those villages where they had prayed for so long to be able to be reached. Now, after 17 years of uh, me living in the Middle East, I was 17 years old, my country as a whole was suffering uh, as a government and as its people, so we had to leave as refugees, and we left the country. Shortly after leaving, coming to the United States, that same village that we lived in, those neighboring villages that we shared the gospel in, they were all taken and destroyed by extreme terrorist groups. And there was no one left. I mean, they called them ghost towns. But here I was looking at those villages, and you know, when people saw ruins and they saw evil, and that's true, that was such an evil thing to be done. But all I was able to look back and see, you know what? I know that the gospel was shared in those villages. I know that under those ruins, Operation Christmas Child once allowed an opportunity to those people to hear the gospel before that dark day came into their lives. So when I came to the United States, I was excited to be part of Operation Christmas Child. I discovered it actually at a processing center in Charlotte. I went there and saw the boxes and the logo, and I was overwhelmed because I thought it was a Santa factory. (laughs) And I saw people wearing Santa hats and ugly sweaters, and I'm just thinking, what is going on? But I recognized the logo, and I thought, wow, this is the ministry that changed my life. So I was packing boxes. I was sharing what God has done through this ministry. But I think what it impacted me on this side was seeing how both sides of the shoebox gift and how God so powerfully uses those both ends to accomplish His purpose in the world and in the unreached, especially unreached people groups. There is a quote I want to end with and share with you that so beautifully describes those both sides of the shoebox gift. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you, are, you have to be in, in one of those sides. And here's what the quote says. It's by a pastor named Paul Washer, and he said, There are only two ministries and missions. You're either called to go down the well, or you're called to hold the rope for those going down. But either way, there should be scars on your hands. So where are your scars? What has it cost you to be a Christian? 
as we are serving Christ through this ministry, there are scars on our hands here, while other people's there have their own scars. But in between, we are working together to fulfill the Great Commission and allow the people there to know there's a God who loves them and who sees them. Danya's story is amazing. I always love hearing her share about getting her shoebox and how God truly saw her where she was. Packing shoeboxes gives kids like Danya hope when they need it the most. And I love what Danya shared at the end about the two sides of ministry, how we're either called to go down the well or we're called to hold the rope for those going down. And this is true for Operation Christmas Child. We cannot get the gospel message out to millions of children without the devotion and support of those who pack shoeboxes. And so now I want you to hear about the other side of the rope and the ministry of Operation Christmas Child, packing a shoebox. I was able to go over to our processing center in Boone, North Carolina, and I talked to volunteers about why they pack shoeboxes. For many, packing shoeboxes has become a tradition. Every year, as they gather with their kids, grandchildren, small groups, teams, and churches. And I love hearing these packers' passion and the genuine excitement for what they are doing. I wanted to know why you pack shoeboxes. It's all about the children. And it's the gift here and the gift that's available through the box. The gift of God. I've been to Honduras, delivered them. It's great. Watch their faces, their smiles, their love. Yeah, it's, it's a good ministry. Very good. It, this is a group that started actually with us 11, about 11 years ago, coming down here. We we got first day we've got hooked with this group from Ohio. Oh, so you met here years ago, here. and then you coordinate now when you come? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, Started as strangers. And then they joined us a few years ago. How fun! The energy in the processing center was contagious, and I love how God is connecting people and building relationships as volunteers come together to help children in need. It is so exciting for me to hear from so many people around the world how they personally pack boxes. Well, I'm wondering if I can ask you guys why you pack shoe boxes. I'm Pam Moultrie, I'm from Paris, Tennessee. We bring a group every year, this is our 17th year, to come and work in the PC. We pack boxes because we love children and we love the fact that they're gonna have an opportunity to know about Jesus. My name is uh, Russ Dredla, and uh, I actually work here at Samaritan's Purse on our campus relations team. Um, well, it's a fun way for our family to be involved in taking the gospel to the nations, and um, you know they enjoy finding little toys and things to help another child, and they'll even write them a note. And so it's just a really fun way for the family to be involved in sending the gospel uh, to, in a lot of cases, unreached people groups. I pack them for the gospel opportunities that go to the children around the world so they can come to know Christ as their Savior. Because the Great Commission said we're supposed to go, um, I don't go on that many mission trips, but I send shoeboxes around the world, and that's more than I could ever do on a mission trip myself. So I feel like I'm impacting the kingdom in a much bigger way. 
I just think it's a wonderful ministry and it's a way to get God's word out in a very unique way with children who will have an impact on relatives and that could bring those adults to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a good, absolutely a good mission for uh, spreading the word. I actually went on a mission trip in the Ukraine many, many years ago to an orphanage. And there was a young lady there when we had the opportunity to go and see their, where they lived. She showed me her most valuable, important possession, and it was a shoebox. Um, it's just to share the love of Jesus. That's what it's all about. Because I mean, there's so many people that haven't heard that don't have the benefits we do. So it's just to put the love of Jesus in their hand. Well, I have seen the results of it. I have, uh, in fact, just recently we had a young man come to our church who was from Vietnam, who got a box in Vietnam, got saved, was um, then uh, adopted into the United States, went to Bible college, and he's going back to Vietnam to be a missionary in Vietnam. Because I love Jesus, and I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I mean, ultimately, it's to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I mean, I think that's what's so beautiful about it. It's something simple as a gift, um, but it's more than that. I mean, these kids, it, kids that come from all different places, and I mean, they get to learn the gospel of Jesus Christ that can change their life. And I mean, ultimately, that's the reason. The common theme I kept hearing over and over again of why people pack boxes was the gospel. They opened the door to tell children around the world the one thing that never changes, which is Jesus Christ. And when they hear the gospel, it's something that will never be taken away from them, they'll never lose. And there's impact on both sides of the shoebox, from the generous packers to the kids who receive them, like Danya. And it's a project I love being a part of every year. And if you've never packed a box through Operation Christmas Child, it's not too late. Although drop-off locations have closed, you can still build a box online. In fact, after listening to Danya's testimony, it encouraged me to go pack one online myself. Uh, these boxes go to hard-to-reach countries, and they allow the gospel to reach kids who may never hear about Jesus otherwise. And it's so simple. It was really fun. You got to personalize it, and you could pick between each of the toys and the categories. You could even upload a picture and write a note. So it was just as personalized as going to the store yourself. And as I, I packed my box this year, I thought of Danya's story. I was so encouraged as I picture myself holding the rope on the side so that the church partners around the world can share the gospel. And it reminded me that there's joy in serving no matter which side of the rope you're on. As we close, I want to read 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. It says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so that's, that scripture just reminded me and encouraged me that whatever I'm doing, whether I'm going to the ends of the earth or I'm in my hometown, I can be a steward of the gospel and share and serve accordingly. And so I hope this encourages you today. Uh, if Again, if you want to pack a shoebox, go to SamaritansPurse.org to build your box online. Please be praying for the millions of shoeboxes that are being processed right now, and then they will be shipped out to the nations. 
Pray for the kids that get the box, as well as the church partners and the communities that will be impacted, that they will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I also want to give you a sneak peek of a future episode. The last voice you heard in this episode was an Appalachian State football player. It's our local university where Samaritan's Purse is headquartered in Boone, North Carolina. We had a packing party with the entire football team, and it was fun to watch them get involved this year and help pack shoeboxes for kids in need. I got to join in on the fun and watch players and coaches give their time to serve and bless children around the world. And I'm so excited to share this episode with you in the future. So I encourage you to subscribe to On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you don't miss this episode. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and look forward to bringing you more. God bless you.